This is the Profiting from Misery Q&A with Open Secrets researchers Michael Marchand and Zain Mate, hosted by Open Secrets intern Chochin Glovu. Hi Michael, hi Zain, thank you for joining me today for the Q&A. Morning Chlohi. Morning Chlohi, thank you for having us. Start things off and for those who may not be aware, what exactly is Profiting from Misery? Um, so, Profiting from Misery's Open Secrets New Investigator Report, um, and it reveals South Africa's complicity in war crimes in Yemen. And it's the South African arms companies that have cashed in on the sale of weapons to, in particular, Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, who have been two central parties to the Yemeni conflict. Um, the report is an in-depth investigative report, which shows that since the war in Yemen broke out, several South African companies, arms companies, such as Rheinmetall and Ammunitions and Hansalt, who are based in Germany, have joined many global companies and profiting from the devastation of the war in Yemen um, and the resulting misery from that. Um, so the report unpacks how both these companies, in particular Rheinmetall and Al, are majority, even though they're majority owned in Germany, um, where there has been a ban on weapon sales to Saudi Arabia and the UAE, um, their South African subsidiaries have continued to export uh, weapons to these countries. And this has provided a neat channel to, um, for German weapons to be continuing to fuel through South African companies the war in Yemen. And the report also speaks to the failure of South Africa's um, regulator of the weapons trade uh, to, to stop these weapons from uh, leaving the country and from fueling the war. So what prompted this investigation and why is this particular report so important? If uh, at Open Secrets have been engaged with civil society partners uh, in different parts of the world who had already been looking at the issue of arms companies selling weapons to Saudi Arabia and the UAE uh, that were being used in Yemen. And what these partners were telling us and showing us was this concern, as Zen has already said, about European arms companies in particular looking at a German company like Rheinmetall, who had been stopped from sending weapons from Germany. And th this open question was, were these companies using South Africa as a jurisdiction, in a sense, to sidestep the domestic bans and export weapons from South Africa instead of their home countries? And I mean, we thought that this was an important thing to look at because, well, first of all, Yemen, the humanitarian crisis there is, is likely the, the worst humanitarian crisis in, in the world today. Um, there's a huge amount of suffering there. And I think our concern was South Africa as a country and the corporations that are based here should not be allowed to profit from that kind of situation. And so the investigation was really aimed at trying to reveal South Africa's role in this regard and whether it was true that these types of companies were exporting weapons from here. And as Zen has already said, that's certainly what we found, um, that over the past 10 years, South Africa's involvement in selling weapons to Saudi Arabia and the UAE has only increased. We're talking about 12 billion rand in weapons over the last 10 years more than 8 billion of that has come since the war started in late 2014, early 2015 in Yemen.
So as Mike has stated, Yemen has been declared a humanitarian crisis by the UN for consecutive years now. Who is responsible for this and how has the COVID crisis impacted the situation there? Is it? Uh, no, so as you've said, Shuri, um, and as Mike mentioned just now as you were speaking, Yemen is the world's worst humanitarian crisis that we face in, in the contemporary world right now. Um, and it's the epicenter of this regionalized war. Um, and as you've mentioned, the United Nations reports show extensive evidence that civilians have been deliberately targeted in this brutal conflict. So while the conflict is complex and there is evidence of widespread abuse by all the parties involved, um, the coalition of forces led by Saudi Arabia and the UAE um, have used their considerable military might um, to unleash the barrage of um, attacks on the civilian population. So that's really who is uh, responsible. And so uh, Saudi Arabia and the UAE and their proxies have used the weaponry sourced um, from other companies, arms companies from around the world, including South Africa. And so these states, uh, which include South Africa, are also the parties that are responsible um, for this humanitarian crisis that, that, is, that is faced um, by um, the people in Yemen today. Thank you, Zen. And with regards to the COVID crisis that's happening, how has this impacted the situation then? This has impacted the situation um, as this, the, 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 the war and the attacks um, unleashed have, uh, as I've mentioned, targeted uh, civilian populations and critical infrastructure, um, pop, uh, such as hospitals, roads, and, and the like. And so that has exasperated, has been exasperated by the COVID crisis as people in Yemen are unable to access basic medical care that, um, as we know, has been essential um, in this COVID crisis. And even with that medical care, we know around the world, um, people barely, you know, the virus has, has continued to run rampage. And so in Yemen, with uh, the populations already plagued by other diseases, already unable to, to um, uh, have access to basic facilities. Um, this has made it even harder for them to, to deal with what is essentially a huge crisis um, compounded onto another um, um, crisis that has been ongoing for years, uh, which is the more civil war. Mm -hmm. Very true. So South Africa has portrayed itself as a country championing the values of human rights, democracy, reconciliation. Shouldn't we have the mechanisms to prevent the complicity of South Africa and South African corporations in human rights violations across the world? This is a, a sad part of the story here, is that we do on paper. So South Africa's laws uh, around weapons exports in particular, explicitly require our regulators to take into account the risks that Zen is speaking about, the risks that our weapons might make conflicts worse or be used to target civilians and commit war crimes and other violations of international law. And so the law in South Africa is very clear that when a weapons company goes to the NCACC as the regulator and says, we'd like a permit to export weapons to Saudi Arabia, and this is what we'd like to send and how many, that the committee needs to take into account a range of factors. And those factors include the likelihood of a risk of increased conflict because of that export, but also any risk that violations of human rights uh, are going to occur. 
And so that's the situation on paper. Unfortunately, what we've seen is we've seen a disconnect between the way South Africa speaks about Yemen on the international stage and then the way our domestic politicians um, and bureaucrats actually process the decisions. And so, as you've said, our diplomats have gone to the United Nations and said that they are very concerned about the violations of international law and the widespread famine and human rights violations in Yemen. Um, and yet, at home in South Africa, they've asked almost none of the same questions when approving weapons exports and have consistently over the years of the conflict, despite the UN reports that Zen mentions, that have been publicly available saying that these countries are complicit in war crimes, they have consistently permitted the exports uh, anywhere. You mentioned uh, the current regulator, the NCACC, known as the National Conventional Arms Control Committee. How effective has the NCACC been in monitoring the trade of these weapons? The evidence in, in the report, uh, and the, that's based on the interactions that Open Secrets had with the NCACC, shows that they haven't been effective at all. Uh, I think that it's deeply disturbing what we've discovered because there were two possible ways the NCACC, I think, could have responded to us. The one would have been to say, look, we've considered all the evidence available and we don't think that it's sufficiently concerning to warrant stopping exports. Now, we would argue that that's wrong if they'd said that, and then I think that you could challenge that decision. But in fact, the NCACC don't even go that far. In their response to our letter to them, essentially they admit to not taking that information into account, even when it was publicly available. In one of the most remarkable discoveries in the investigation, we asked them whether they had taken into account United Nations reports on South African mortars made by likely Rheinmetall-Denel munitions that were found at the site of a mortar attack in Yemen that killed civilians. And essentially the NCACC said to us, no, if it hasn't been brought to their attention through diplomatic channels or by the Department of International Relations, they don't need to take into, into account. I mean, we think that that's a kind of flagrant disregard for their legal duties to take into account those kind of serious allegations. Um, and essentially what we've seen is that even that information in the public domain doesn't seem to have been fully accounted for uh, when the decisions were made. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, thank you for that. So who are the other corporates and countries involved in benefiting from the trade of arms used in Yemen? Because we've mentioned Ryan Mattel and we've mentioned South Africa and the Saudi-led coalition. Um, can you mention any other countries and corporates? Um, I mean, there, there's a host of other countries, obviously, and, and corporations that have been involved, entangled in this um, long-going civil war in Yemen. And then arming um, the, the the forces that are involved um, in 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 the war. Um, but I think um, two that I'll mention in particular is that the United States and the United Kingdom, who um, through their fueling of these two states and their fueling um, have been the largest suppliers of weapons um, that have fueled this conflict. And so actually between 2015 and 2018, the U.S. topped uh, the list um, of of countries that were exporting and delivering weapons uh, to those involved, to the states involved in the Yemen war. And um, to the effect of from around between 10 
billion dollars um, and, and $3 billion worth of weapons to Saudi Arabia and the UAE, respectively. And so these, and I'm sorry to mention, as we speak about in the report, these deliveries constitute only around 10% of the weapons offers made to Saudi Arabia and the UAE during this period. And um, just uh, to, to mention that the, the UK, as the United Kingdom, um, has been single-handedly, as we explained in the report, responsible for um, the, the, the Saudi Air Force um, the Saudi Air Force, um, which has been able to carry out relentless aerial bombing campaigns for over six years now. Um, and this, um, just to mention a few of the stats of that, it's killed around over 22,000 individuals. Um, and, and, so you, and so through companies uh, such as BAE, which are other companies, and countries such as the United States and the United Kingdom, um, we, we see you know, a lot of uh, involvement by states around the world um, and companies around the world that fueled um, the, the, the war in Yemen. And Italy has also been named um, as amongst the, the, the countries um, that have been involved in this, in particular in connection with Ryan Mattel. Um, um, in, yeah, and actually Italy has, has just stopped exporting, has just stopped their exports to, arms exports to um, UAE and Saudi Arabia. Germany as well, of course, has been deeply involved in, in the exports, but they, because of the German ban, their companies based in Germany, you know, have found other ways. And so German weapons are still, even though the state has banned um, the weapons exports, German-made weapons are still ending up um, in Yemen. What needs to happen to end profiteering from the war in Yemen? I think in the report, um, I'll, I'll call, I'll talk to five things that we talk about in the report um, that we say need to happen to stop this profiteering from the Yemen war. And the first is that the NCACC needs to end weapons exports to parties involved in the Yemen conflict. And by that, we're saying that the NCACC should immediately stop export permits. Um, from South Africa destined uh, and, and stop export permits that allow weapons to leave South Africa um, and end up in countries such as Saudi Arabia and the UAE. Um, and so that's the first thing. Um, and, and then we ask uh, in that same breath for the NCACC to recall um, existing permits and to revoke those. Um, and the second thing that we, we call for is for the NCACC to end its secrecy problem. Um, the law must be amended to require um, more regular and detailed reporting by the NCACC to Parliament, and Parliament must call the NCACC to account when it fails to report timelessly and accurately. And uh, uh, the third thing that we say is that the DOCO, the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, um, must make human rights central to foreign policy. South Africa's foreign policy is in a muddle, and I think we, we've seen this. Um, there is profound incoherence when it comes to uh, stated commitments to constitutional values and their implementation. So DOCO must develop a concrete plan to implement their stated commitment to human rights. Um, and the fourth thing we call for is that the Hawks must investigate companies based in South Africa, arms companies based in South Africa, such as RDM, Ryan Metals and Ammunitions. Uh, and so the Directorate uh, for Priority Crimes Investigations of the Hawks, um, the Hawks is, is required to investigate war crimes and crimes against, against humanity. 
And so we call on the Hawks to, to immediately investigate um, the possible complicity of South African companies such as RDM and Hensalt in war crimes um, and other violations of international law in Yemen. And, and I think the fifth and, and the, the one of the important ones, and they're all important, but uh, one of the ones that we, we say we can take action now as people is for civil society to stand together in solidarity with the people in Yemen. Um, so challenging the status quo in South Africa, um, in, in the South African arms sector will require a new kind of solidarity between civil society and, uh, and groups of, and, and other civil society groups and, and other countries, um, such as South Africa and Germany, to, 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 to challenge the powerful corporations and states. Um, that have been complicit in, in, in fueling this war. And we, we must be led by the call for solidarity made um, by the people of Yemen and respond strongly and effectively to that call. Very true, very true. Thank you so much, Dan. So I actually wanted to return to something, uh, a question that you asked earlier, Flohi, which, I, and I, I think I left something out there that's quite important, which is, you know, what has the NCACC been doing? Um, and I, I spoke about the evidence that they haven't been adequately taking, you know, this evidence into account and how deeply disturbing that is. But the other thing to note, and this is very important, go, based on what Zen has been saying, that there is an ongoing struggle in so many of these, in so many of these countries by civil society to stop the export of weapons. So in the United Kingdom, the matter is still before the courts with civil society saying, that it, it, it is a violation of UK law to continue to supply weapons to, for example, the Saudi Air Force in the context of these violations. In South Africa, it is important to remember that there was a brief moment where there was a de facto ban on weapons going from South Africa to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. And the ban originated when those countries refused to sign off uh, what is called an end-user certificate, uh, which is a certificate used in the sale of weapons to ensure that whoever you are selling the weapons to does not pass them on. And we've long had a clause in South African certificates that says it, that it requires the buying country to allow an inspector every sporadically to check whether those uh, requirements are being complied with. Uh, South Africa moved that requirement to the front page of the end user certificate and the countries start, such as Saudi Arabia and the UAE and a few others um, essentially freaked out and said if that's going to be a requirement we're actually not going to do this. Now I mean this in and of itself should be a red flag as to the entire system because if inspections are not going to be permitted purportedly because it's a violation of their sovereignty it raises questions about how on earth you're going to enforce where the weapons end up and whether the requirements of, of the law are being upheld. That's the first thing. But then, of course, the other thing is that, and we've written this in the reports, is that this was the moment where South Africa could have said, no, if you're not going to comply with something that's been a legal requirement forever here, we're actually going to stop this because that raises serious concerns in addition to all of the evidence of human rights violations. And unfortunately, what the NCACC did was the opposite. It bowed to the interests of the arms companies Weapons companies such as RDM, Rheinmetall Denel, in South Africa went to them and said, it's costing us too much money, you have to find a way around this. And very swiftly, they changed the requirement 
now in terms of that end user certificate we are only required to do inspection by diplomatic process i still do not know what that means we asked the ncacc to confirm uh, and they do not provide any answer that explains uh, you know what that would mean or whether it would be rigorous enough um, and so there was really a missed opportunity there where you know we could have stopped it and instead what we did is the country found a way around it to allow weapons to continue. And so then to come back to the, this question now about you know, what needs to be done, in South Africa, first and foremost, we need the NCACC to start applying their minds to the law and taking this kind of evidence into account. They can no longer hide behind the fact that they do not know what's happening in Yemen. And I think that one of the really positive things to have come out of the Profiting from Misery report so far is that suddenly they are being asked questions that they haven't been asked before. We've seen the Minister of Public Enterprises, we've seen the CEO of Denel being called by parliamentarians to explain what's happening. And we really hope that this prompts the NCACC and, and the Parliamentary Committee on Defence to say we really need to review these decisions and we need to really reconsider whether uh, our law permits these kinds of exports um, and to take a stand and to say, you know, actually, um, even if it is profitable for the South African arms industry, we have to draw the line uh, when there's such evidence of these kinds of crimes uh, and to stop the export. So that, that is the kind of first thing that we can do, I think. Right. Thank you so much, Mike. How would you relate this report to Open Secrets' other work on the arms deal and on a budget era arms sanctions busting? And what does this reveal about the nature of arms trade in South Africa? So South Africa has uh, such a checkered history, and it's it's probably the country, one of the countries that you could look at that provides you such the per perfect window into the kind of corrupt and criminal nature of so much of the global arms trade. And so Open Secrets work in the past has focused on a range of areas that touches on how economic crime and the arms trade intersects. Our work on apartheid guns and money revealed the nature of the kind of global networks from arms companies and governments and middlemen that systematically enabled the apartheid regime to violate international law, to bust sanctions, and to get weapons in that fueled the apartheid military machine, both domestically and in terms of its wars on the continent. And, you know, our work on the arms deal showed that so many of those networks that facilitated that were back facilitating corrupt deals during the 1999 arms deal. I think that what this investigation touches on and shows is that South Africa has failed to break with that past despite a very public recognition within the state that they needed to. And so there was a commission of inquiry called the Cameron Commission of Inquiry in the 1990s set up by the Mandela administration specifically to look at the way the arms trade operated and the arms industry operated in South Africa. And the conclusions of that report were simple. It was that the, the industry had long operated with complete impunity in total secrecy and that it violated the law uh, 
consistently and that it was contributing to, to human rights violations and conflicts around the world because the excess and gluts of South African weapons during the late apartheid era were then ex exported to, to uh, conflicts around the world. And so in my earlier answer, you know, I spoke about South African law and what it requires the regulator to take into account. That law stems explicitly from an attempt to break from the past. And so it's not simply some kind of bureaucratic requirement that's being violated here. Instead, it is a violation of the law that, that specifically sets out to attempt to break with that past of criminality, secrecy and impunity. Um, and I think that it's, it's a reminder to us that this, this struggle is a very long one um, and that our attempts to get the NCACC and the rest of the state to hold these corporations to account and say, no, you cannot profit from these types of conflicts, that it is a battle to break a long chain of that type of conduct. But that if we don't do it now, we will be having the same conversation uh, in, in 10 years' time. We look at con conflicts that are burgeoning in places like Mozambique today, and no doubt that will start in other parts of the world. We need to make sure that our systems are working properly to stop South Africans profiting from those, those types of conflicts. No, thank you so much, Mike and Zen. Thank you for joining me today and answering the questions. And hopefully the report Profiting from Misery is a step in the right direction to having some accountability. Um, thank you so much. So much, Thank you. Open Secrets is a non-profit organization. To keep our work independent, we do not accept funding from corporations or governments. We would really appreciate it if you had considered donating to Open Secrets to allow us to continue to challenge war profiteering, illicit financial flows, and other forms of corruption. Visit opensecrets.org.za forward slash support to donate to us using Snapscan, GiveGain, PayPal, or EFT.